Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. I'm Sam Abul-Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. I forgot to say where I'm from. You're all just going to have to find me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not writing Just Google them. Yeah. Just, I mean, no, what happens if you Google Dan Roth, the guy who was the like, uh, content chief for LinkedIn comes up. Um, and you know, strangely enough, nobody has offered to interview me for something um, <laughs> by making that mistake of thinking I'm that guy. But anyway, um, before, but so one thing before we get to the show, I want to keep it tight, but... Um, I was looking around at um, when I posted the uh, the latest episode, which there was a huge delay in editing. I'm sorry. Uh, I was you looking can blame at where Dan for that. That's, it was totally my fault. I just I, I couldn't get to it. There was just stuff, and then it took a while to edit. Because um, we had we had platform problems. Let me tell you, <laughs> uh, if you were to hear the raw audio, just uh, the amount of like, can you hear me? Oh, I can hear Dan, and I can hear Rebecca, but I can't hear Sam. Just Anyway, when I posted that episode, I looked at the, the metrics for our, um, our show. And uh, do, can you guys guess where uh, our, um, our largest group of listeners is from? You mean from a country or city? Uh, or? Like city. Yeah, city. Um, I think, if I recall, isn't it like in the Northeast? Like where you guys are? Yeah, it, it is ish, ish. It's funny. I don't have my other laptop down here, so I don't have it open. But um, yeah, you'd think it would be like Detroit or something, right? It's not. It's a town in New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> that, that probably means that there's a bunch of people going through a VPN or something or, or some, some host that's in New Jersey. It's in a very- I was born in New Jersey. I'm just saying it's my entourage. Now, you know, part of Jersey though. Like, I mean, were you like Bergen County? Okay. Bergen County. I think this is, this may, this may actually be Bergen County. I was born Um, in Englewood hospital. Okay. Um, I, I don't know enough about New Jersey, uh, geography to recall whether this town and I I forget uh what the name of the town is so I probably like introed this poorly clearly (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah I was just I was surprised to find that we have and there's like 400 it's it's west of Newark okay well there's a (laughs) lot west of Newark Mendham New Jersey yes yes yeah Yeah. I was like what the hell is that it's it's like out in the middle of nowhere 
Shout yeah, out to Menden, New Jersey. I, I Yeah, I wanted to, to shout them out because um, I didn't realize that it could be like a VPN. That's a good idea. Um, that may be more of what it is. Uh, but J- Jersey is a place I've driven through and in. <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my favorite part of Atlantic City was the Target in Pleasantville. See, there you go. <laughs> Which was, anyway. Um, speaking sorry. of driving. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of driving. So let's, let's try this. Uh, I will, I'll, we'll give it like roughly, I don't know, 12 minutes per, per uh, person here. See if we can keep it on track. But um, Sam, you had a very jeepy time. So I think that might be a good place to start with uh, what you've been driving. Yeah. So um, when we last uh, got together and recorded, I had just received the um, the new 2020 Jeep Gladiator Mojave, which was announced at the last live event that we were actually at the Rebecca and I were at in Chicago, the Chicago Auto Show. Um, so the Mojave is the first uh, what they're calling desert rated Jeep. Uh, you know, so Jeep has had the trail rated badge for a long time. And this is on all the various Jeep models. You know, the, the most off-road capable version is gets a trail rated badge. So on the, the Wrangler, it's the Rubicon on everything else. It's the, the various Trailhawk models. And, you know, these get, you know, the part-time four-wheel drive with a two-range transfer case and the really low final drive ratio and all this stuff, you know, so for crawling over boulders and through canyons at, you know, low speeds. The desert rating, which they're putting on the Mojave and which will be coming to other Jeep models, that Jeep has, has acknowledged this, uh, will is designed more for high-speed off-road operation. So in a way, it's, it, it's most most similar to the um, the Ford Raptor, the F one fifty Raptor, and you know, obviously this the Mojave or the rather the, the Gladiator is a significantly smaller vehicle than the Raptor, uh, but it's the the Raptor I think in terms of performance, uh, you know, in, in terms of its capabilities, is really the most direct comparison to the uh, to this Gladiator Mojave, and to be honest. I like this a whole lot more than the Raptor, even though the Raptor is a lot more powerful. I like this. I like driving it a lot better than the Raptor. When I drove the Raptor, to me, it felt kind of soft. You know, it was too softly sprung. Uh, you know, it was kind of felt kind of under damped when you went around corners or even over over bumps. You know, it kind of felt kind of floaty. Um, you know, this one with the Mojave was really buttoned down. Um, you know, the, the ride and handling on roads was really great. But when I took it, uh, you know, I didn't really have any a desert to drive it on, unfortunately. There's but, no um, you know, out, you know, when I go outside, you know, out in the outskirts of town, there's there's some, you know, some gravel roads, some dirt roads around here. And we'd had quite a bit of rain and the roads hadn't been graded recently. So you get these, these really nasty potholes in these dirt roads. And I took it across there, you know, at about 50 miles an hour. And I mean, it just soaked them right up. It it has, this thing has really good wheel control and body control. Um, You know, it just, it felt really solid, really stable. And it felt like something that, you know, if you took it to Baja or, you know, to Death Valley or something like that, and, you know, went racing across the desert, it would it would be fine. It wouldn't have no problem at all handling that stuff. Um, and as I said, it's you know this is really a midsize truck. You know, size wise, it's it's more competitive with something like the Tacoma uh, or the uh, 
the Ranger or, um, you know, Chevy Colorado. But, uh, you know, in terms of its capabilities, there's really, I, I don't think there's anything else quite like this. You know, it's got uh, these Fox shocks, Fox dampers with um, remote reservoirs. Uh, and the, the, the ones on the front, they actually, the, you know, on the, on the rear axle, the damp, the, the reservoirs are actually mounted, you know, right on next to the main damper tube next to the shock tube. Uh, so you have the shock tube and then the, the other one, you know, right next to it in parallel, the front reservoirs were actually, they had longer lines going to them and the reservoirs were actually mounted, uh, horizontally up underneath the front skid plate to protect them. Uh, so, you know, all, they've, they've done all kinds of things like this. And, you know, one of the things uh, I noticed, you know, uh, is the, um, the, rock, the running boards, uh, you know, instead of being down low, you know, to make it easy to step up into, they're tucked up right up against the bodies, you know, so they actually get maximum ground clearance. Yeah, Rebecca. I have a question. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, we're doing this on Zoom, so now we can see each other, which will hopefully prevent me from interrupting. I. What is the reservoir for? Uh, so the reservoir, uh, the, the, the damper reservoir uh, gives you more uh, damper, more um, hydraulic fluid in the damper. Okay. And, um, you know, when you're, run, when you're doing, you know, this sort of off-road running, you know, when the wheels are moving around a lot, the more the damper moves, the more heat builds up in the fluid. And then it starts to fade and you, you can, you know, eventually it can boil. Uh, right. And you lose your damping effectiveness. So having that external reservoir gives more, more capacity of the damper fluid and it allows it to flow in and out of there and cool and keep it cooler. Oh, so you, so cool, it, it's more, it, it functions better over longer periods of time. Right. Okay. Clever. Thank you. Yeah. And it allows Jeep to charge more. It does allow Jeep to charge more. I mean, they're, they're not the first to do this. You know, no. uh, the, the Chevy Colorado, there's the, the, the ZR2, ZR2 yeah. version, which, you know, they use um, Multimatic dampers, which, which also have uh, remote reservoirs like this. So, so, but that seems to be like the most, uh, the straightest comparison other than the Raptor, which is, is larger, would be the, the Colorado ZR2. But they seem like they're they're kind of different things. Like the the Mojave seems like it's uh, more of like a pre runner than yeah. um, the the Colorado ZR2, which is is more of like a an it's, it's for, for crawling. And yeah, more, the ZR2 is tuned more for rock crawling. It's more more like a Rubicon type, yeah. you know, like a Gladiator Rubicon, um, even though it has those those similar type of dampers. Um, but uh, yeah, I I actually really enjoyed driving this thing and. Uh, you know, the one I had <clears throat> had the fold back roof, you know, um, so it's, it's not a power roof. It's not the, the Sunrider roof, which is powered. Uh, it, well, that's the one you like, Rebecca, is the Sunrider. Yes, that's the yeah, one that I had it, in March. Right. So this one, the, did you have that on the Gladiator or the Wrangler? Yes, I had it on the Gladiator okay. where it was like a cloth yeah. roof. Yeah. Yeah, so this is kind of like that, but it's but it's manual. So there's just two latches at the windshield. I think header. mine was manual as well, though. Okay, I, so but so to use this one, you know, to actually open it up, it's not like you know on my Miata where you know I can sit in the driver's seat, unlatch it, and drop it back. Yeah. Um, this one because it's up higher and the roof is longer, you actually have to get up, you know, push it back from the driver's seat, and then get in the back seat and finish pushing it all the way to the back. Um, in other words, you need friends. That's a commitment. Well, no, you can do it yourself. It's, it's easy yeah. enough to do, but, but, then, it's, but just, it's okay. Get it's in just, the back there. It's, it's, a, little more, it's a little more tedious. Exactly. It's yeah. better with friends. Yes. <laughs> um, 
but you know, I, I, I really enjoyed driving it. They, you know, this one, uh, the only engine that's available in the gladiator in any gladiator right now is the 3.6 liter, uh, Pentastar, which is a great engine. Um, I, I think I would have, I'd like to see FCA put a V8 in the Gladiator, offer a Hemi in there, or or at least offer the uh, the V6 from the Ram with the e-torque uh, mild hybrid system on there, so you get some extra torque. It's not bad with what it's got, you know, with the 285 horsepower, but it could use a little more torque because you know, I mean, this thing is it's fairly hefty, um, and and. There is one amazing thing that I did find when I was looking through the specs. You actually can get the Gladiator, even in Mojave trim, with a six-speed manual transmission. Nice. So you can they get a manual. They know their audience. They're, yeah. yeah. So you can get a manual manual Mojave um, or, you know, the one I had had the, the eight-speed automatic. Um, and, you know, it was equipped with all of the, the driver assist, you know, it had the adaptive cruise control and everything. Cause you know, God knows you need adaptive cruise control when you're racing through the desert. <laughs> you don't want to hit a cactus. <laughs> That's right. Hey, so one feature. So I used to actually do a lot of desert driving. I, when I lived in Saudi Arabia and one of the key things that you have to do when you drive in the desert is you've got to let air out of your tires. Mm. Is there any mechanism for doing that? in a controlled environment automatically or just still very manual tire yeah, by that, tire. That would be a manual process in this one. Okay. So, um, you know, there, there are, you know, power outlets in this thing. So you can bring along, uh, an inflator, right. <coughs> uh, you can bring along a compressor, uh, and you know, you got a decent sized bed so you can, you know, put stuff like that in the bed. Um, but yeah, you would have to, you would have to drop the tire pressure manually. If you okay. that, strikes me, that strikes me as a missed opportunity for Jeep. Um, you know, because like Hummer had it back when they uh, in like '96 when they introduced they, the they had that on the H1. H1. Was, yeah, it was the, yeah. CT, the CTIS right, Central Tire Inflation System. Right, but that was you know that was something you know that came straight from the original military, the military. version of the Humvee. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, they, people they never, are used I don't think to they ever <clears throat> they never offered that on the H2 or H3. Yeah, I, that's true. Yeah, um, but. People are used to spending money to chart up their Jeeps. I'm sure there's an aftermarket solution. I, I'm I sure that there's that somebody in Mopar yeah. that's probably <laughs> working on something. Yeah. And, yeah. and there, yeah, you're right. There's probably somewhere there's an aftermarket solution for this. But yeah, the, there, there isn't from the factory right now. So what else do you have to do to drive on the sand? I've heard you got to kind of like be aggressive and just floor it. You got to go fast. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's probably, that's almost a, the hardest thing to get used to because I, I was used to rock crawling, you know, and, and yeah. that, you know, really low, low speed, you know, rock by rock or tree by tree and trying to, you know, maneuver. And once you're in the, in the sand, you have to stay on top of the sand. Yeah. You know, you, you can't get, you can't dig yourself in. And so the way you stay on top of the sand is by going really fast, <laughs> which, was, which was really a, a huge difference. And, you know, it's a shame because Jeep was planning a program at the end of March. I can't remember where it was supposed to be, but, you know, for sand, Probably for the in Mojave. Mojave somewhere. Right, for the Mojave. <clears throat> but that's the number one difference between uh, off-road dirt and off-road sand. Is yeah, the, and, you know, it's, it's very similar if you're, if you're running in deep snow. 
Uh, you know, I don't have much experience driving in sand, but I, I have had a lot of experience driving in deep snow, you know, during my, my ABS and traction control development (laughs) days. And, uh, so, you know, it's, it's a very similar kind of thing. You, you do need to keep your momentum going, you know, and keep the, keep the wheels riding up on top of that. Snowmobiling is similar as well. You want to, you want to keep it. Yeah, it does. It gets, gets up on top. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to sink down. Yeah, momentum, anytime you're off-roading, momentum is really key to understand when you can, when you need to apply pressure, how much you need to apply. You've got to have a really gentle foot on that accelerator uh, because you can get stuck just trying to get, I remember being on a Jeep program and we were in uh, Jackson Hole and what was supposed to be the snow course ended up being the mud course Ooh. and because it was warm, it was warmer than expected and it was just a mess and it was fine because we had a lot of fun with it. But I remember trying to get up this, it, it was like a 45 degree turn and at, with in between two trees, the width, and I was in the Grand Cherokee. So it was mm. the width of the Grand Cherokee and the guy in front of me in a Wrangler, he couldn't get up there because he left, he kept chickening out, right? Mm-hmm. Like as you get up there, as you're making that turn, you've got to, you've got to keep going. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was so, so momentum, you know, understanding how much momentum you need and the fact that you, you can't chicken out because you're going to get screwed off road every time. Well, one, one thing that helps with that <laughs> is if you have a front camera and uh, yes. the, this Mojave was, did have the optional uh, grill mounted camera. So, yeah. you know, as you're coming up over those, those, crests you know you can see what's on the other side you know it'll display it on the center screen and right. you know that that definitely helps a lot well and in, the, in this case it would have helped to see how close the, that tree actually was <laughs> because yeah, we were no, heading I'm, right towards the tree yeah, absolutely yeah <laughs> so so the so the mojave starts at uh just shy of forty four thousand uh, dollars and that's with the six-speed manual the one i had uh which was reasonably well loaded. It wasn't, it wasn't full. It didn't have all the available options uh, because it did have the, the, you know, the, uh, the soft top, uh, the retractable soft top all told it came to just shy of $61,000, including that $1,500 delivery charge that we talked about last time around. Uh, And you know, that, that includes two grand for that eight speed automatic transmission. So, you know, that's a, that's a pretty hefty option price. And you know, there was a lot of options on this thing. But it it is a lot of fun to drive. Um, you know, it's I don't you know I don't think it's a vehicle for me. Um, the the one other you know to the degree I would have a complaint about this thing was the fuel economy. Uh, you know, it's <laughs> it's rated oh, at seventeen city twenty two highway. You got, about, you got about eleven. Uh, yeah. no, I, I, managed, I managed to get about fifteen. Oh, that's pretty good. That's yeah. just better than I thought you would. Yeah. So yeah, the Rubicon four by four that I had was sixty two thousand. Yeah, the well, Gladiator Rubicon. Well, oh, well, yeah. Just the after after they picked up the Gladiator, they dropped off uh, the new Wrangler Eco Diesel. Oh, that's right. And Which so, and that's like a five thousand dollar engine there, right? Four, like it's four four grand for the engine, oh. uh, and then you know you have you can't get the the diesel with the manual, so you have to also pay for the two thousand um, dollar hmm. eight speed automatic. Uh, and so, that's, that's what, that's the three liter 
diesel that's in the Grand Cherokee too, right? Or is it? Uh, or- yeah, it's it's an updated version of the diesel. So it's based on the same design, the same architecture as what was previously in the Grand Cherokee. Yeah. Um, but you know, they they relaunched it last year. They they did a whole bunch of updates to it. Relaunched it in the Ram fifteen hundred and in yeah. the Wrangler. And I I would assume that at some point it's going to be available in the Gladiator as well. Is it um, still laggy? Uh, it's better. Yeah, there's still some lag, but it's it's not as bad. It's it's definitely better than it was. Um, you know, it's and it's got some of that you know tr- uh, classic diesel clatter, which you tend to hear more in in something like the Wrangler because there's you don't have nearly as much sound insulation in there. Yeah, you know, when you put it in something like the Grand Cherokee, you know, you open the hood, you're going to see all these sound mats, you know, under the <laughs> under the hood and on the firewall and things like that. Yeah, but even in the Grand Cherokee. Um, it was it was louder than I expected, and it wasn't. It didn't sound good. It sounded kind of <laughs> industrial, uh, which is like a little out of character. I, I think though, in the the Wrangler, is you probably get a pass on some of that noise, and it, it might be one of those things that like that's it, part of the charm. Like that's, yeah. that's the shtick. Yeah, it's, it's 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 part of the character of of this type of vehicle. So the the yeah. one I had was you know a Wrangler Unlimited. Uh, it did, you know, it was the, it did have the, uh, the Sunrider power roof, um, which is, you know, very, very nice to have, you know, just press the button and the whole thing zips all the way to the back. Um, you know, so that's, that's a nice feature. And, uh, you know, it was a Rubicon, you know, so it had the, um, you know, the two speed transfer case and everything. And, um, I know when I've driven the Rubicon out at uh, the GM, at the Chrysler Chelsea Proving Grounds um, on the, their off-road course there, you know, one of the, the fun things is when you put it in four-wheel drive low, you know, the way these things are geared, they're geared so low that, you know, at in fourth gear at 10 miles an hour, the thing's turning like 4,000 RPM. <laughs> Yeah, and and this is one. This is another difference with the Mojave. The Mojave also has that for that two-speed transfer case, uh, but because it's designed for higher speed operation, uh, you can run in four low at speeds up to about thirty-five miles an hour. Uh, in the in the in the Rubicons and and the other uh, uh, trail-rated uh, Jeeps, it's only up to about fifteen, sixteen miles an hour is the maximum speed. And um, in the the Rubicon or the the Wrangler Rubicon, that thing I managed to get twenty two miles per gallon, uh, and, which is uh, by far and away the most I've ever gotten with a Jeep, you know, with with any Wrangler uh, based vehicle. In a diesel? Yeah, it's a diesel. Twenty two miles. Yeah, um, and, you got to spend nine thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's only six. It's only six. Okay. Let's not exaggerate here. Four, uh, four grand for the engine, oh. and and you know, let's let's face it. You know, most people are going to get the automatic anyway, so you know you're gonna you're gonna pony up that two grand for the uh, for the automatic on for almost everybody. Yeah, that that's, that's true. That's like okay. A so cost. so let me ask you a, a practical question. Mm-hmm. Why why is the diesel in there? Um, well, better fuel economy, obviously, but what? really, I mean, really more for, not... more for towing, you know, it's, oh, okay. If, yeah. Okay. If, so if that's, wanna, that's, if you want if you're going to tow with a Wrangler, you probably want to go for the, uh, for the diesel because you know, that well, torque is going to be help better. I mean, are there better choices for towing? I get, I don't know. I, I, I have I to would, get, I would say I have to well, get back into my off mode mode. <laughs> I, I, I think that, um, 
I think Wrangler Unlimited owners are probably more likely to actually tow. Uh, like they're going to want to tow with it and they're, they're going to use the capability versus like a Ram 1500 owner who may not tow as much, um, even though it, it can probably tow more than a Wrangler. Um, but I think that the Jeep knows it's, it's niches, right? They're doing what yeah. BMW is doing. It's just trying, they're filling all of the spaces yes, with an offering. Yeah. Um, I mean, me personally, I, I think that the, the thing for Jeep to do is just make them all um, the e-torques and not not offer uh the standard pentastar um but that'll boost your fuel economy but it, you can't really tow with the hybrid as as well as you can with the diesel so i, I, I well with the e-torque you can the, the e-torque you don't really give up any uh, any towing capability um you know, but, but does it but, does it gain towing capability with the diesel i would assume it does uh yeah i yeah. Uh, yeah i think it does it does do a little better in towing with with the diesel certainly compared to the standard panastar it, it's yeah. definitely better towing and you know the the thing about towing with the diesel and you know this is the rationale that ford gave you know when they launched the diesel version of the f-150 is you know this this one is for the people that are going to be towing all the time you know or a lot of the time you know if your towing is limited to you know two, three, four times a year, you know, like, you know, tow, take your towing your boat from your driveway out to the lake in the spring, putting it in the water and then hauling it out. You the just fall. rent the truck from U-Haul and if it slides backwards into the lake, oops. Yeah. Well, <laughs> no, but what, what I'm saying is, you know, if that's kind of your, if that's your towing pattern, you know, then using, you know, using the, the regular, you know, EcoBoost V6 is fine. Yeah. But the thing is with the gas engines, when you're towing, your fuel economy just goes right in the toilet. Oh yeah, and the, the turbos get red hot and stuff. Yeah, it's, whereas it's, yeah, yeah, whereas with the with the diesel, you know, it maintains almost the same fuel economy when it's when you're towing. So if you're towing, you know, every other weekend or every weekend, you know, towing your horse trailer to to shows, or if you're a landscaper, you know, towing all your your lawnmowers around, you know, then the diesel makes a lot more sense. Um, and you know, I living here in Michigan, one of the things you see, you know, if you drive up North during the wintertime, you know, on Friday afternoons, you will see a lot of people towing their snowmobiles hmm. uh, or even in the summertime, you will see people towing their, their trailers, you know, with a couple of um, jet skis on there, yep. towing them up North, you know, Sunday afternoon, bringing them back, you know, coming back home. Uh, and that's a pretty common thing here in Michigan. And so, you know, if you're doing that, you know, every weekend or every other weekend, Having the diesel is actually a really good option. You're going to do sure. a lot better in that okay. case. I got. I got to say, agree. like, as a tow vehicle, God, I could not. Wranglers are something I get sort of out of my system every now and then. You know, I'll spend some time in one, and I'll be like, "All right, that's that's fun now. I'm good <laughs> for. A while. I've had my fix." Uh, I cannot imagine putting long towing miles on in a Wrangler Unlimited. Like, as much as I like them. That is a car that wears you out. That it just the new ones are so much better though. They are good. They I mean, I know good, what but... you mean. There's somebody in my family has had a Jeep almost consistently for the last twenty years. So I get it. But the new ones are so much better. They are. I mean, they, they are. Really. Like like my brother has has the JK, the previous edition. Yep. And it, it's I agree with you, Dan. Like it's it's kind of beastly. Yeah. I <laughs> but but the new ones, they're just I was really pleasantly surprised. I I, I think whoever did the 
you know, yeah. they, I think they must have taken the driving dynamics guys, the handling guys, yeah. who worked on the Rams, and had them do some do some magic on the uh, the new Wrangler on the JL Wrangler. It yeah. is good. It, it is, is really good. good. It, is, it is very good. And I, the last the last one I drove was actually a Gladiator, and I I, I quite I was quite impressed with how good it was because I think it was a Gladiator Rubicon. So. Which is practically glowing from you. I'm, yeah. st- I'm like blushing for the Jeep. What, what, what I what I want what I want is a Gladiator Mojave with a Hellcat in it. Yeah, I mean, awesome. you know they're going to do that at some point. Oh like, yeah, you know, at when, the when very least, they will build one to take to the Jeep Easter Safari. Right. Look, they're looking for it's. This is hilarious. A FCA decided that they were going to move to the Netherlands to dodge taxes. And now they're asking Italy for what, like $6 billion. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so when they need to print some money, they're going to put the Hellcat in something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, um, you know, this, this eco diesel Wrangler, um, was, uh, not inexpensive, uh, came to $65,100 delivered. Um, that which is, is a, that's, that's a lot of I mean, that's commitment, man. That's, <laughs> And you know, but, yeah, see, but the it's eighty-four is, months free financing, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll chain this sucker to your ankle for a, a decade. Um, at least, the, at least the Wrangler's going to hold on to its its uh, oh, equity. Gosh. You're going to, you're going yeah. yes. to, so. But yes, for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm going to be really curious to see how they price the plug-in hybrid Wrangler uh, when that comes out later this year. That's, that's just a wrong statement. I'm sorry. I've had a glass of wine, so my filter is low. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should make that a habit that's our podcast uh start again but you know like uh the problem i have with the the fca diesel is that other diesels exist now in the light duty trucks and like the four the f-150 diesel is fantastic that's mm-hmm. such a nice engine and it, it makes the f-150 just that much better um i i I I would just I don't even like the F series, but <laughs> I would pick that before I I pick the 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 um the Wrangler with the diesel. But I, I guess again, like when you you want the Wrangler diesel, like that is a commitment, and so you know what you're buying, and you're buying it for a reason. So it, it may not be cross shop like that. I don't I don't know, but just yeah. I'm not a huge fan of that that uh, three liter engine, that three liter diesel. Um, but I haven't tried it. I haven't tried it in a while, so. It, you know, I've driven the previous iteration of it in the Ram, and certainly in in the Ram, you know, it it's it felt a lot quieter, a lot smoother. Yeah. Um, you know, it it's definitely a little noisier in this one, but you know, it's it's a Wrangler, so you expect it to, you expect everything to be noisy. Right. Exactly. Is the cat bothering you? Lucy bothering yes. you? All the, well, I have my you know, my headphones on, and at first I was like, "What is that noise?" And then I looked down, and she's just like, "Yeah." <laughs> we had a um, yeah, and pets will do that. Yeah, we had a, a school conference today, um, and so the dog decides he wants to just like climb on us. So we're sitting there in the middle of the school conference, and all the other nerd school parents are there too, and. It's just the 50 pound Labrador just jumps in my <laughs> wife's lap. It's just excellent. I'm just like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> of all the things you could do in front of all the people, whatever. Hey, I think I think these days people are used to that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's okay. You're not going to go viral for any more for having your dog or cat or kid come in on your Zoom call. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Well, so you know what? We blew the time limit on that one. Yeah. yeah um, we had two cars. Two. Yeah, that's, that's true. Uh, yeah. all right. We're still doing okay then. Um, but I, I really, um, I was surprised. My eyebrows went up 
when Sam told me what you're driving, Rebecca, because I was just like, well, that's that's a very like, a it's a cool car, but uh, just to be ripping around, I could just I don't know, I, it just doesn't fit with all of the cars that we've had lately. This one sort of st- sticks out. So it was, you, you tell us more about it. So I had the Toyota eighty six which of course used to be the Scion FRS. And this thing is still also the uh, Subaru BRZ. Oh yes, exactly. Which I have not driven. This thing was just a riot. It was just. Yeah. You had the, what is the. The Hancock. Hanconi. Hanconi. Thank you. Uh, The Hanconi edition. Um, So it's, so it's this beautiful like British racing green with these gorgeous bronze twisted alloy rims on them. And, you know, the thing is just a riot. It's, it's old school. It's classic. This is a driver's car. That's it. But what I liked about it was that it, it didn't skimp on amenities. I mean, it had really nice, comfortable seats. It had uh, you know, Android, Auto, um, Android Auto and Apple CarPlay, and it had heated seats. It had some nice amenities to it. What it didn't have was like a great, like the backup camera was in the rear view mirror. So it was that tiny little thing. This, the multimedia screen is seven inches. I mean, it's totally old school, um, but it was kind of fun because then you, you, you're reminded that your only job in this car is to drive it. And it's a six-speed manual, the one that I had, this the Hanconi edition. And it, a six-speed automatic is available. But, you know, I got in it and I was like, oh, this is hilarious. Like, there's no <laughs> place for your phone. There's barely any cup holders. Like, it's, I mean, it is, it's really bare bones. But, man, you can just toss that thing around and it's happy. <laughs> yeah, I love the 86. And it, it, to me, it, it still feels like a, a, a fresh face uh, in the sports car world. There's, there's none of them around. You don't yeah, see them anywhere. They, they are pretty rare. And, you know, it's a lot of people have criticized it over the years, <clears throat> uh, particularly for the engine. Uh, yeah, I've, I've done my fair share. <laughs> I, I think it's fine. I, I do too. Like too. every time I drive it, I'm like, oh, this is this is actually okay. What I don't really like is the way that the torque delivery sort of drops off and then comes back at higher RPM. But once you learn to wring its neck, especially with the manual, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> just keep it at high RPM all the time. Keep it exactly. Yeah. I just kept it at high RPM. <laughs> yeah, and it's geared so that you can you can do that. But you just is it, there's a little bit of a learning curve with it. I just love that it's that kind of car that you you have to learn how how it rewards you um and you have to you have to find that sweet spot to really make it sort of come alive so yeah, that's I fun see, right and, yeah, and the, it's nuanced yeah it's like it's like a woman or nuanced <laughs> <laughs> you have that. to figure you us out definitely <laughs> um, <laughs> but the uh, uh <laughs> It's awesome though. I had a great time with it. And you know, it, it was, it was actually really fun to not see myself coming and going yeah. to, you know, have other, you know, guys in, you know, boy racer cars pull up and they're like, Oh my gosh, a librarian is driving that thing. You know, it was like, you know, it was just fun. And it, and of course I, I absolutely love a manual transmission and especially a good one like that. That's just so engaging 
and easy. You know, I found it super easy. It's, you know, it's just, it was smooth, quick shifting, you know, short throws. I just, I thought it was great. I loved it. Oh yeah. It's very nearly like a a picture perfect um, sports car. I can't believe it's been around since 2012 too. Uh, I know. Right. But because it was this, it was the Scion. It was the Scion at first. Right, yeah. the FRS first. Um, so the one that I had, it was the Hanconi, as I said, it's named after a, a Japanese highway. Uh, 30825 including destination. But it starts at 28000 yeah. So, you know, for thirty grand, that's just a lot of weekend fun. Yeah, you know? yeah I mean, I that's, mean, that's actually a, a really good value, you know, for, for I, what you get absolutely. with this kind of car. Exactly. So what they've been doing too is they've been consolidating um, equipment levels. So there's just probably not a whole lot of options you can get on the. Um, the yeah, the, I think there's three different kinds. There's yeah. the there's the regular eighty six. There's the eighty six GT, and then the eighty six Hanconi. And yeah. and you're right. There's not a lot of there's there isn't a lot of room in that. I think the base, I think the base price actually of any eighty six is twenty eight thousand. And this yeah. was like 20, a, a 20, special. Yeah. 28, including delivery. Right, 28, including delivery. And this was loaded at 30,800 with delivery. So that's such a good deal. Under 29, you know, yeah. without delivery. Yeah. yeah that, and if you, if you can swing that couple extra grand, it's worth it just for that green. Oh, yeah, it's oh. gorgeous. Like the green and the, the gold wheels and, and the interior. Is the interior brown? The interior is this beautiful camel suede-like mm. situation. And... And that's the other thing too, is that, you know, again, like the dashboards, the dashboard's pretty bare bones, you know, it's like a, it was black and, you know, black to me always kind of shows all of its flaws, but the seats were super comfortable. It was really easy to adjust, minimal blind spot issues for me as I sit up close. I, and, you know, now the back seat was small. My 12 year old niece got in and she was, she was cozy in the back seat. So You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't encourage that situation very much, but I, but you know, overall it was just, it was easy to get in and out of. It's low slung. Um, I, the only, I think the only thing that we should have is a sunroof. I didn't have any sunroof. Yeah. No, it's a car about purity. It it, it is. Yep, exactly. So, you know, it was funny because when they told me I was getting it, I was like, okay, this will be interesting. Like you said, like to kind of see like you know, what it was like, but I was really sad to see it go. I definitely, I definitely could have had that thing in the driveway for a longer period of time. Yeah. They're a fun car. I, I wish they didn't have that little deck lid spoiler, but now I'm getting picky oh, on, on this version. Like I, <laughs> I remember when it came out and everybody was sort of picking apart the styling because it's not, it's not real gimmicky, but I think that's one of the things that I just, I'd love about the, the 86 is that it's, it's pretty timeless. It's like, Yes, it's like the, you know the first generation RX-7s, or uh, you know, going back even further, like think about a Carmen Ghia, right? Like it just like the Carmen Ghia was in production from like 1956 <laughs> to 1974, <laughs> like well, twenty something years. It was funny because because Jake says my my nephew Jake who lives with me, he says to me, he goes. What's with the '80s Toyota? <laughs> really? Wow! <laughs> and I started laughing. Kids I was like, these days. Well, it is the '86, but yeah. it's like it's retro, right? Like that's what it's supposed to look like. Not really. <laughs> really? Is that, no, I, I just like like it's a really clean design. I just yeah. I mean, it's it's it's, it's got timeless. the classic sports yeah. car proportions. Yeah. You know, long hood. The cabin cabin yep. moved towards the back. You know, rear wheel drive. It's it's exactly what a sports car should be. There's you know, there's only one minor flaw. It should be a soft top. Yes, um, exactly. 
Exactly. I, uh, and, 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 and they shouldn't bother putting that ridiculous little backseat in there. I mean, yeah. It's pointless. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I, that may help out in, in some sort of regulatory fashion. Um, but yes, that's true. You know, the, the thing that's great about the 86 is just like the thing that's great about the Miata is it, it will teach you a lot uh, as a driver and its limits are low. So the stakes are low. Um, yes. You can have a lot of fun with it with no matter where you're driving. Yeah. Um, which is not the case with something fancier, even like a Mustang. A Mustang's going to hurt you. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, it's true. Especially I if just, you're leaving a Cars and Coffee. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I loved it for its purity. Yeah. It's just, just a fun, the, the, your only job in that car is to drive it. And I love that. Okay. So get, everybody should get one. More sports Everyone cars. should get one. Yeah. Everybody should get one. <laughs> and if you really want more power, an LSV8 will slide right in there. There you go. <laughs> you, can, you can stick an LSV8 into just about anything. <laughs> one on my lawnmower. <laughs> I think it's uh, been done. Yeah, I think so. Uh, all right, well, so you guys had all the, f- the fossil fuels. I, on the other hand, used no oil uh, for the week. I had the Nissan uh, Leaf SL Plus. Uh, and this, I, it's been a long time since I've been in a leaf. So this is my first experience with the, the, this current generation leaf. And I gotta say, I really, a, I really like it. B, I think it's the best car that Nissan makes because it's so normal, which is like, it's weird to say like this thing is, it just works like a car and that's why it's the best thing that Nissan makes. But it really is, is like, they have really gotten this pretty refined. It's an affordable EV. It does 240, 250 miles on a charge. Uh, it's just easy to get in and drive and figure out. It's it's comfy. It's it's pretty roomy. Uh, nothing fell off. <laughs> <laughs> that's always a good thing. <laughs> you know, uh, that's a big thing when you're buying EVs is to make sure so, you pick one that doesn't drop pieces. Okay, so you have to expand upon this for me. The best thing that Nissan makes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could argue, right, that the uh, the GTR or the 370Z might be the best thing that they make if we're talking in terms of sports cars. But uh, it's just, it's the future of automobiledom in some way. And they've been at it long enough that if you if you step out of, I don't know, like say an Altima uh, and into the Leaf, there's no learning curve. You just know how to make it go. The controls are the, like you can get the H as a conventional mainstream car. Right, it's it, perfect, and that's that's it. Just it goes on batteries instead of an engine, and, and like other EVs are uh, concerned with all kinds of gimmickry and different you know <laughs> screens and all the autonomous tech and stuff. And this had some ADAS stuff where you know lane centering. It had to, what the Nissan um, ProPilot. ProPilot, Pro-Pilot yeah. Um, ProPilot Assist or just ProPilot? Uh, ProPilot Assist. Yeah, okay. so, and that works great. Like, it took me a little right. while to figure out that th- that button is what turns on cruise control. Um, but once I figured that out, and then figured out I could shut off the things I didn't want, it was it was fine. And and it actually, it, you know, it centers in the lane nicely. Although if you cruise in the right lane, it'll follow off ramps. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, If you're not watching it, it'll be like, oh, the lines go this way. It must, I must be turning. Um, So you gotta, you gotta keep kind of a hand on it um, if you're you're doing that. Uh, But you know, I, I went down and picked it up and it was still kind of cold and raw. And um, so I was using the heater and stuff. I just, I was like, I'm just going to drive this like a normal car. I'm not going to do any kind of like hyper miling nonsense or anything like that. 
Um, and it yeah, had plenty of range. I used maybe a hundred miles worth of range um, when I went and picked it up. So it, it took a while to top that hundred miles back up <laughs> on 110. <laughs> um, but it, like, you know, it has, has a nice charger that comes with it where if you can find a 220 outlet, there's enough slack on it that, you know, you, you can be pretty set in most situations. Um, in the, you know, like the Nissan dealer in town has a charging station too. So I wasn't that concerned. I could go plug it in. Um, but it, it's just, it's comfy. It's pretty quiet. The materials are nice. Uh, all of the controls work well. Um, it, it just, it is, it's just, it's a car. So if your choice is like, I'm going to buy, you know, a regular gas engine car or SUV or crossover or something, uh, or I'm going to buy an EV, you don't have to sacrifice. You, you don't have to get some infernal machine. Uh, it's just, you know, it's just a car. And I think that's, what's brilliant about it is that it's, it's just so well done. Well, and that, that's the lesson that Nissan learned going from the first generation Leaf to the second gen, you know, is the first one was designed more like a science project. You know, it had that weird styling, especially the headlights in the front. Yep. It had some some weird things about the, the controls and the ergonomics inside. You know, and when they went to the second generation, they made it much more normal, normal looking, you know, normal inside, normal the way things work. You know, and made it more like just a regular car that just happens to be electric. Uh, you know, and I, I think that that's, you know, that's a good thing. You know, maybe turned off some of the, some of the early adopters, but you know, there's a limit to that market anyway. I mean, if you, if you want to, you know, start to grow that, that business, you know, you've got to appeal more to a mass market and that's what they did with this, with the second generation. And, and I think they're going to go even further, you know, next year when they launch the new Aria, uh, which is their their new EV uh, crossover EV, and I think Rebecca, you ha- did you have a chance to drive the Aria in Vegas at CES? Uh, we sort of did. We had the, a modified the, the opportunity. Uh, it was very much a pre production vehicle yeah. uh, on the on like a little planned track. But yeah, I mean, I think this is you know one of my issues with the way that EVs have been developed and marketed is we have made them to be something weird as opposed to something mainstream. And they, I think that, you know, this is what I've, we've, I've talked about a number of times with the Audi e-tron is it's, I would rather just have it the Q6. It's just a good, it's a, it's a good luxury crossover that just happens to be electric. And the idea of just constantly promoting these vehicles as, as this weird electric alternative powertrain I don't know. I just think if we're going to appeal to the masses, we have to start making vehicles that appeal to the masses. Yeah. Well, I think one of the things about the Leaf that does appeal to the masses is that um, it, it, uh, those are also things you can criticize it for, right? Like it's tech as much as I found it fine and easy to use. It's not as fancy uh, as um, newer newer tech suites in other EVs. So that can feel a little antique. Um, it, it, like I said, it took a while to charge. Um, it probably doesn't charge as fast as some, some other cars on the market. Now, I, I don't what know. What was your total range? Uh, 240 miles, it said. So I think officially yeah, the, you the, the SL you Plus the is plus, like, right? Right, right. Yeah. So how long did it take to recoup those hundred miles, just plugging it into a uh, Like a 
day and a half. <laughs> it was on 110 and it was on a long right. extension cord. Oh gosh. Yeah. So yeah. that's not like, that's not a uh, sort of that's representative test. No, no. Okay. Like I wasn't concerned. I was like, look, the dryer's right there. If I need to, I can move the dryer and plug it in to right. 220 and, and run the cord over and, and it'll charge a lot faster. But, uh, I wasn't going too many places, so I just I just left it on on one ten slowly. Um, but to, you know, two hundred and twenty six miles is I think the official range uh, of it, and that's so much. Like it, totally fine. I didn't have any range anxiety, and I, I drove it around a couple stops uh, when I had it. Um, it doesn't have all wheel drive, I think, which is uh, something that you, you might be looking for. Um, it's not that sort of like, this is a super fast zero to 60 high performance thing that it's electric. It, it does look kind of cool. It looks a little different, mm-hmm. so it, it sort of straddles the line between having some of that differentiation, but also just being a, a, a solid car and you give up some of the G whiz factor, but also it's like, I think it was about 45,000, uh, before rebates or tax credits. So you can get it for, a you know, under... Yeah under 40 you can get it in the mid 30s and that's a pretty good deal for a car yeah you give up some of the stuff but hey you can get it it's in stock <laughs> you're not waiting uh you have a dealer network you have support and uh it it just it works so i mean most people don't need all-wheel drive so could you right. put snow tires on it and what percentage I would. what range would the how much would the range go down do you think 10 percent uh, it will probably go down more it? than 10%. I think it, you would lose some range in the winter um, and certainly compounded with the different tires that aren't low roll. Yeah, I mean, the, the tires, you're, you're probably going to lose somewhere between 5 and 10% just from the tires. But you're going mm-hmm. lo- to lose a lot more just from co- cold weather driving and driving <laughs> Right, snow. yeah. But yeah. if you were to put snows on that. Yeah, you'd, you'd lose a bit, but it, I mean, it's, it's less than what you're going to lose from the other winter factors. Right. The, the other thing to remember about the Leaf, too, is, you know, depending on what your needs are, what your driving needs are, if you can get by with 150 miles of range, you know, the base, right. you, know, the, the, you know, there's a couple of trim levels of the Leaf, you know, that start at 31,000. Right. That, and that's true. And, and you don't really give up anything uh, for that other than range, right? Like, they're still just yeah. and stuff, which... I honestly thought it was nice, but materials and stuff, it's not a luxury car. So keep that in mind, but it looked good. It felt It's, good. it's a mainstream compact yeah. hatchback, you know. It was comfy. Yeah. I, I liked it quite a bit. Uh, and with the SL Plus, there's plenty of torque too. Like uh, yeah. I, you put the foot down, this thing, it goes to the point where it'll, it'll jerk the wheel out of your hands with torque steer. When I was getting on the highway, I was like, let's see what it can do. <laughs> it, it's got plenty of power. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I just, I love electric vehicles for people that, you know, like uh, here in, in the Fairfield County area, um, once people start taking the train again, I love them for just going back and forth to the train station, because as I've said before, most of the, most of the parking at local train stations requires some residency, usually in the same town. And, you know, it's a good opportunity. It's a short drive and you can pretty much go almost all week without having to charge it. And yeah. you're getting to and from the gas station for free to the train station for free. You know, you're not paying for gas. And I just, I love that idea. And I apologize if you can hear Lucy in the background. She is, I don't know she what she's so upset about. For I don't know what she's so upset about. She just, she wants your attention. I know um, she does. <laughs> um, yeah. It's, I, I think honestly, the, the sort of biggest knock on it is, is probably 
just a that it it doesn't have all wheel drive. It's not it's not a luxury car, um, and also you know charging might not be as quick, even though it can do DC fast charging. Um, so I think you can put about eighty percent of the charge back in about forty five minutes, depending on the charger. Um, and I, I, on a level two charger at home, it's still going to take if you're going to if it's all the way down, it's still going to take you almost twelve hours to to refill it. So that's the, you you wait a little bit um, for for some of that stuff, but I don't really see those as actual issues. You know, right. like you're charging it at home, you're not really using all of the capacity usually when you go out. Well, so. And and if you are getting an electric vehicle. You know, a, a level two charger is not prohibitively expensive anymore. Yes, there's everyone's situation is different. I realize that. But, you know, if you have the opportunity to put one in, I think it's definitely something to consider. They seem to have it really well thought out. And they've put a bunch of these uh, first gens in, you know, municipal fleets and stuff. So they've, they've actually got a lot of EV experience, too. So it's kind of it's proven hardware. I, I would feel really comfortable buying this. Um, more so than, than something maybe a little bit more exotic. I, I'm kind of trying to think like the only other cars I, that I would trust kind of as much might be like the Bolt um, or the uh, like the Kona EV. And the, the Kona EV is smaller. The Bolt is smaller. These are this is it feels a little yeah, the the the, Nero, the Kia Nero EV would be the you know the next closest one to something like this yeah. in terms of its size and its range. Um, <clears throat> and you know if you have a 240 volt outlet in your garage you can go buy you know a level two charger for 400 bucks you can get one on amazon or or from home depot or lowe's for 400 dollars and just plug it in and you're you're done uh if you don't have if you don't have a 240 volt circuit to your garage you can you know an elect you can usually get an electrician to put one in for about five or six hundred bucks yeah or you can take two different circuits (laughs) <laughs> and, and strip the wires back and just, you know, one leg goes over here and one leg goes over there. And you tie the neutrals together and do not do that. <laughs> yeah, please do not do that. Um, you know, unless you are fond of having your garage burned down. <laughs> it's just do not insane. take suggestions. Really. <laughs> yeah, no. Don't, don't listen to me. I wouldn't actually do that at my house if I find it fast. Um, all right, well, that's the cars. Uh, I like the Leaf. I give it a, a pretty heady endorsement. Um, even though uh, it's maybe not the sort of flashiest thing to drive, I, I quite like it. Shall we, shall we stick with electric vehicles for a moment? Yeah, let's stick with electric vehicles. What do we got? Okay, so um, this week there was an article uh, in Autocar. Actually, uh, initially it started off, uh, I think, in one of the British newspapers. I can't remember exactly which one. Uh, Said the um, sun, why not as a tab? Oh, no, we don't want to promote it. <laughs> 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 but you know, one 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 of the uh, no, it was the Times. It was the, the Sunday Times. Times. They they published their annual rich list of the the richest uh, people in Britain, um, and number one on the list this year with a net worth of sixteen point two billion pounds was uh, James Dyson. Of uh, you know, he of uh, oh. hair dryers and Man, vacuum cleaners. Sucks. Vacuum cleaners. And, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's we we don't need to get into all the and reasons why James Dyson sucks. James Dyson sucks, you know, including his support for Brexit. No, but, I didn't mean that it was a vacuum joke. So yeah. anyway, okay. I got it. Uh, I, I did not read anything more into it. Okay. I, did, I, I, so. I know that, you know, politically he's got some weird positions, but, yeah. but you know, a few years back we heard, you know, that Dyson wanted to build electric cars 
And, you know, they set off and, you know, started a development program for an EV and they made a bunch of investments. They, they bought up um, an actual uh, a battery uh, developer uh, from based here in Ann Arbor, uh, led by, uh, it was a company called SACD3. It was founded by uh, Professor Anne-Marie Sastry, who was a, an engineering professor at the University of Michigan, because um, she had been working on solid state battery technology. And the plan when they announced it was they were going to do an EV with solid state batteries and it was going to have 600 miles of range and ridiculously fast charging. And as after they spent a few years working on this thing, you know, they had issues, which they didn't talk about in this article. Dyson never really uh, mentioned anything about the, the battery technology. And, you know, the reality is that solid state batteries are still quite a ways out, you know, probably not toward, till towards the end of the decade. But, um, you know, they, they actually did develop vehicle and you know they had they have running prototypes and this is the first time we've actually seen a photo of one of the the prototypes or at least the, the styling buck here um, and in the article he acknowledged yeah you know, and if you haven't heard uh, previously they announced last fall that they were canceling the project they, they were not going to go ahead with it but Dyson acknowledged in the article that it spent 500 million pounds. That's about $620 million US dollars on the development of this vehicle. And they, at, at the point when they canceled it. <laughs> and I still don't have much on shoes every year. I mean, it's not it's a okay, Imelda. <laughs> <laughs> how much was he, how much is he worth? 13 billion pounds? Uh, yeah, 12, 16, 16, billion. 16, 16 billion. I think you said, yeah. yeah. No, he he it up in a day. It's interest. It's, it's a tax write-off. It's a blip. Yeah. Um, but so they still own the tech though, right? They, they haven't sort of liquidated still own the, tech the battery and, tech or the motor tech that, that so well, they, and, they still have something to sell. Right. And, and they were, they were actually leveraging, you know, supposedly leveraging some of the motor technology. I mean, probably the most interesting thing about Dyson as a company is they've done some really fascinating motor technology uh, with switched reluctance motors. And we don't need to get into the details of that, but you know, they're very efficient motors um, and, you know, very powerful. And they were going to use those in the, you know, use that technology in these vehicles. Um, So they still own that technology. They still have whatever patents they had uh, on the, the batteries, even though, you know, that's, you know, still, it's not anywhere close to production yet, but, you know, he acknowledged, you know, in, in canceling this thing, he realized, he said he took a look at the industry and saw all these other EV startups that were going out there, you know, producing electric cars at a loss and realized it was just going to be too risky. You know, it was probably going to cost them several billion pounds more, you know, that they were going to lose by introducing this thing, you know, and in the original article, you know, basically where, you know, that this was excerpted from, you know, said really the, the only companies that, you know, have any chance in this are those that have, you know, conventional vehicles to sell, you know, to subsidize this. You know, if you're, if all you're selling is EVs, you know, you're going to have a hard time ever surviving. No kidding. Yeah. We well, could have told the, them that. <laughs> the, right, the automotive could have saved Europe, half a billion pounds. Yeah. Exactly. The Automotives of Europe said that he would have had to sell it for 150,000 pounds yeah. or almost $182,000 to make a profit on it. But that, uh, I, just, I just say, we could have told him that you're yeah. not going to be able to make a profit on this. And that's been the pattern, though. Like, that's any any of the EVs that have launched really have been premium and that, that high-end exotic. It's a lot level. of vacuum cleaners. Any, anyway, <laughs> because <laughs> that's the bottom line. Uh, 
because they're like they're small entities and they need to at least break even or or make a profit or have a road to profitability uh to to be a, a real business unless their their main goal is to develop some tech and get bought out and, and sort of cash out uh so yeah like that just seems like you as a businessman should have been able to look into that and go here's what's going on and yes, of course, you need the other product lines that sell at volume, at profit, and much lower cost of production to sustain this other thing that sells at a loss, but the loss isn't great enough to consume all of our revenue. That, I don't know. I don't have an MBA, clearly. So, Well, it, you know, they, they sell a lot of vacuum, very expensive vacuum cleaners and, and blow dryers. So I, mean, I love the design yeah. of it. They should have been able to subsidize I, this thing. But, but... My Dyson Animal, I bought in 2007. Yep. And it's still going strong. Yeah. So we have the same. I haven't needed to buy another one. (laughs) That's that's true. And we have a a DC21, which is like, I I really like the design of it. It's supposed to be compact and it's it's a very, you know, it's very cleverly packaged. And so it's one of those products that you look at and you go, well, they've really thought about this. And and it's, it's really well designed and you can but it's almost too well designed because normally i would have had to buy a vacuum cleaner by now yeah well and the thing like our <laughs> cord reel broke and i was like well bs with that that thing was expensive as hell i'm not i'm gonna replace the part that broke and it was we waited for a while we used to shop back around the house until we got <laughs> oh the part. My God. i was just like was i'm not throwing this thing away i'm not gonna <laughs> think the part to fix it because it's just like it well was, it's ironic that he's making a these kinds of batteries because the other, when I got my, my, uh, animal vacuum cleaner, I got a handheld one for free speaking out, which, which is what reminded me. Uh, and it worked out great for like the first year, but then now the battery doesn't charge anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and so it technically needs a new battery. So maybe he can develop better vacuum batteries as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Car batteries use this technology. Yeah. You could probably just hook it up to a diehard. Right? A little weightlifting just, while you're at it. Just need um, a few of those, you know, portable uh, phone charger batteries, you know. Exactly. A 20,000 20, milliamp hour battery. Just right. Plug it in there. Yeah, I mean, it burned down the house. So, like, you only have to vacuum once. <laughs> uh, I got sick of the Dustbusters because oh. the Dustbusters have the, uh, they have a battery that's internal and you can't get at it. And yeah. so that's, that's what happens after a year of like, it sits on the charger until you use it and the batteries right. you know, it dies. And it's, so like it, it starts off with great vigor and it's like, <laughs> so I went to Home Depot and I got the little Ryobi one that uses the drill batteries. Yeah. So when the battery gets tired, just take those back, recycle them, get another one, pop it in and just, it's ugly and it's, it's not as spiffy as a. I'll have to uh, try that though. Black and Decker, have but some Ryobi batteries. Ryobi, yeah. you know, 18 volt thing uses the same nice. batteries as my drill. Right. So they, and they're, they're lithium ion, I so they charge that. quick. That was That's my solution. Plan. It's a good yep. plan. I like it. Okay, we're completely off time. All right, what else do we have? <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, Toyota did, oh, yeah. uh, did the vehicle reveals that they were originally scheduled to do in New York at the New York Auto Show, which obviously hasn't happened yet. Did you um, watch it? Uh, no, I was I was in another meeting at the time, so uh, I was actually recording a keynote, pre-recording a keynote for a conference uh, that I was supposed to speak at that is going to be virtual. Um, so I didn't get a chance to watch the presentation. Um, did you guys watch it? I did not either. I I, um, I was I, busy. 
started watching it, had to bounce to another meeting, but they have it posted. So I think anybody can actually go yeah. and watch it. It's only about 15 minutes, um, but you get to see they, they introduced the uh, the new Sienna and the new um, Venza. Venza. Yeah, I was, I was uh, surprised that they brought the Venza back. Um, I mean, I think you guys probably knew it was, was going to happen, um, but I was like, oh yeah, the Venza. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually hadn't time. heard anything about the Venza coming back. Yeah, I didn't know it was coming back. Oh. Ahead, it, it was ahead of its time, and so now it's now they're going to redo it again. It, it was. It had a terrible interior. <laughs> it, it did. It, it had a really awful interior. The first generation Venza. Uh, I I had to dr- I drove one down to um, to South Carolina. We were doing a thing uh, at BMW uh, at their uh, performance. Mm. center down there uh, adjacent to their factory in, in Spartanburg. And so we drove, drove a Venza from Ann Arbor to South Carolina and back. And yeah, the interior of that thing was, I was actually really shocked. I remember I wrote, wrote a review for Autoblog at the time. Uh, you know, and the, the fit and finish of that interior was really awful. I mean, you know, everything was parts, you know, things were misaligned, the trim panels. It was, it wasn't bad to drive. Yeah, but it it just it didn't feel like a Toyota. What was going on? I don't know. I I, I never did really get an answer on that. Well, um, it was like what two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah. So okay. Everybody that had to a take, lot. Yeah, yeah, had to take money out of the interiors, uh, or had, right. had to take money out of the product, and the interiors is where it came from in, right. in a lot of cars. Um, but the Sienna sort of up until just now had the same quality interior, same trash. <laughs> Because uh, I just drove a Sienna like the end of 2019, and I was like, "This is garbage in here." It, I I drove one around the same time. Yeah, that's right. And it was so antiquated. Yeah, I re- remember. I think I said something about like yeah. the the seats couldn't fold up properly. Like, I mean, it was. I felt like I was driving a 15 year old car. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was not okay. <laughs> it was but not okay. <laughs> yeah, so the new one, I don't know how this. They've done the the seats and stuff. They don't seem to have really moved the needle on uh like some sort of stow and go com- competitor option but they've upgraded the interior pretty clearly it looks a lot nicer um the styling the exterior styling looks a lot sharper seems like the internet was split on whether it looks good or bad uh i think it looks good but it's definitely it's more expressive in that modern toyota way which means it's kind of busy um but everything's busy these days. I, I don't know. I think it looks I mean, good. It has a, it's, it's basically, you know, take the new Highlander and yeah. stretch it into a minivan. And that's yeah. what's what you have here. And that's, that's exactly what it is. And it has all wheel drive, which I, I thought was um, a cool, uh, because there's not really that many choices for. I think right. But then but does that well, mean that the, the floors are behind the rear axle? Then well, actually the what's, what's interesting, interesting about both the Venza and the new Sienna only one powertrain. They're both they're both hybrid only. They're standard oh. hybrid standard hybrid powertrain. So it's the same oh. 2.5 liter four cylinder hybrid system that's in the the new Highlander, and that's the only option. Except you can get all wheel drive, and it's electric all wheel drive. So you get an electric motor at the rear axle to drive the rear wheels. Okay. So it shouldn't you know because the the motor is pretty small, it right. shouldn't have any real impact on packaging at the back there to. Whatever so that, that will be interesting because that that will be a significant competitive advantage, though. I yeah. mean, because all-wheel drive yeah. is you know that's a that's a big if 
if nothing else, it provides peace of mind and a sense of safety and security, which when you're selling a family vehicle is a top priority, obviously. Yeah, I think it's a a really good move to differentiate uh, the Sienna especially. Yeah, Um, for sure, exactly. These are all hybrids because A, you don't really care about performance. You're not missing any performance because it's a hybrid. It has plenty of torque. And really, you want to stretch every dollar. And so this is going to give you better fuel economy than, than the V6, which has plenty of power, but eats gas comparatively. So uh, I think that was a smart move. And, and the, the all-wheel drive, I think, is, is a smart move. I do think that they probably are going to get dinged on not having some sort of real versatile way to fold the second row seats. Mm. The, I, the third row, I, don't, I, I hear your, your concern, like, do they fold into the floor or like, where do they go? Um, right. But if, but like Sam said, if they are able to do something with the all wheel drive and have an electric and a small motor, then yeah, they might they be probably, able to figure it out. But yeah, the folding seats nowadays, that is pretty much almost standard equipment, like expected to have seats that fold down easily, you know, yep. really with a touch of a key. And, you know, I think that's something that it'll be interesting to see. I'll definitely watch it just just to see how the seats fold. Because yeah. that should be something they highlight they, since the current Sienna doesn't really do it that well. No, they didn't really highlight it, which makes okay, me suspect that that's and, not and none, of, yeah. none of the photos on the, uh, the media site show yeah. the third row seat, so you don't really see any of that. One thing they do show is that it does have, uh, it does have an optional vacuum, built-in vacuum. Yes, and a refrigerator. Odyssey does. Is it a Dyson? Uh, no, I, I don't think so. It's tying it all in. Yes, nice, nice. Um, it You're looks welcome. like it's up in the base of the uh, the center uh, stack, though. Um, yeah, and so that so that's it's, it's right cool. in the middle instead of out in the back. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So like, not like Honda's, which yeah. is the original vacuum. Yeah. Right, um, and it does. It has a, a, a an optional refrigerator, and they made a point to say a real refrigerator versus like some kind of cool box that uses like a you know, tie in with the AC or some sort of like Peltier device or something. So it is beautiful though. Yeah. I, I mean, based on the really pictures, yeah. you um, know, some of the and, wood trim looks nice. Yeah. And you know, so this isn't the only, um, 2021 minivan with all wheel drive, you know, for 21, the, uh, the Pacifica is getting an all wheel drive option again, well, uh, but only on the gas engine, the, the Pacifica hybrid still is front wheel drive only. But so I, this, I, this will yeah. be the only all wheel drive hybrid. And I think, honestly, that's what the 2021 Sienna really does, is it moves itself from sort of an ever-present competitor because it's a Toyota and it's a van to actually being a legitimate competition for the Pacifica. Because I really feel like the Pacifica is kind of the, the best value, best van in that space. You know, and there's, there's plenty of options. You know, they've got... Um, You've got the Pacifica, you've got the uh, the Odyssey, Odyssey, the Sienna, and the Sedona. Um, mm. So there's there's and and maybe the Nissan Quest. I forget. Uh, <laughs> maybe not. No. No, if the Quest is still available, I, it, that, isn't not, that telling our expressions yeah. right now? We're like, wait a minute. I it's not. It's not good anyway. <laughs> um, the Quest looks kind of cool when it came out, and it's, it wasn't a good van. Oh, I remember. I remember writing about the the Nissan Quest that. It was just, it was trying to be inappropriately sexy, like when, uh, like wearing a mini skirt to a funeral. Like that's what I got. <laughs> no, Quest is gone. Quest is gone. I mean, it got kicked out of the family no. uh, for that, that wardrobe malfunction. Um, exactly. 
<laughs> but, it, you know, I really feel like the Pacifica is the van to buy. It just, it, it looks really good. It's comfortable. It's priced really well. Like, there's a lot to, to recommend the, the Pacifica. Um, and the sort of one stumbling block that it has is that it's, it's FCA. And there's a lot of people who will sort of be suspect of FCA quality and, and durability. Um, and so now there's a, a Toyota option that offers a lot of very similar features, uh, probably for similar money, but it's, it's all new and it's on a much better platform because the, the old CNS shirt, like you said, it felt 15 years old. It absolutely <laughs> did. But uh, no, this will definitely be serious competition for the Pacifica for sure. Yeah. And the Odyssey um, also. Yeah. And I think the Odyssey is probably still the best driving van because it has that sort of Honda feel to it. Um, yeah. but I don't, I don't know that many people care about that. Um, and the, the Odyssey sort of like trying to operate the tech and stuff in the Odyssey drives me bonkers because it, yeah. it sucks. <laughs> True. So, so what do you, what do you think of the Venza? So the, the Venza, for those who haven't seen it, you know, is a two row midsize crossover. Uh, and like, you know, it's got the same hybrid powertrain as the Sienna. Um, yeah. So what do you think of this one? I'll yeah. let Rebecca go. Oh, you want me to go? I, I, <laughs> I, I don't I, go. I, I think they had to, I mean, I think, well, I, there's a few thoughts going through my head, which is why I wanted Dan to go. Um, I think, <laughs> go if you want. Yeah, you this is an incredibly crowded segment. I mean, yeah. I, and to be fair, I didn't, I didn't watch the, um, the preview thing. So uh, where does it fit with the Highlander? It's smaller it's, than the Highlander, bigger than, um, right. bigger than a RAV4. RAV4. They say it fits right in okay. between. The problem is it's not enough bigger than the RAV4 and it's not enough smaller than the Highlander. Like, yeah, who is it really for? Who is it well, for? I, 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 one thing, I think one part of, you know, where they're targeting this, you know, is if you look at the design, you know, the RAV4 has that, you know, kind of boxier, chunkier design. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, this is, you know, a sleeker design. This is this is basically a rebadged version of the Toyota Harrier, the Japanese market Toyota Harrier. Mm. It's a Toyota um, RX, basically. It's an RX yeah. 450, basically. Right. Well, and, you know, <laughs> up until the current generation R- RX, um, you know, the the R the the previous generations of the Lexus RX were always sold in Japan as the Toyota Harrier. When they did the current generation, uh, you know, it's still mechanically similar to you know basically the same as the RX, but the the Harrier got a different design from the U.S. market RX, uh, and so you know this is you know a, a sleeker design. And what I'm thinking, you know, looking at this, it's kind of in some ways a similar strategy to what Ford's done with the escape where, you know, they took the escape this year, you know, with the new generation escape and they kind of bifurcated it and made the, the escape more car like. Right. And, you know, more, you know, tall hatchback, you know, kind of thing. And then they're bringing out this Bronco sport, which is the rugged off road vehicle based on the same architecture. You know, okay. And that's going to be, you know, have that, you know, kind of brawnier styling to it. And I think, you know, this is kind of, kind of the, uh, the Toyota escape, if you will, mm. you know, kind of that, a similar and strategy. And what's the brawny one? 
Is there a well, brawny one? That's that's where the Rav Four would be. You know, although the Rav Four is not not an off roader like the Broncos. Well, oh well, I just said the Rav Four TRD though. Right? And did that you? That was a riot. Did you yeah. read? Um, I just got my latest uh, car and driver, and so um, Ezra Dyer took one uh, to an off road park in North Carolina with a, a Wrangler. And he was like, surely the, the Wrangler's going to get his ass. The, the RAV4? RAV4 TRD. And he's like, surely this thing's going to get stuck with water up to the door handles and stuff. And um, it just hung in. It just, That's like, everything. He, there was a point where he was, like, in the creek and, the, the, you know, the all-wheel drive system overheated. So he had to just wait uh, <laughs> until it cooled down. Uh, and, you know, the rushing water helped him out there. Uh, <laughs> It it just it did everything. It was like I'm, I'm definitely going to get this thing stuck, and it. it, it That's hilarious. Sort of just tenacious than he thought it was going to be. Um, That's so, awesome. I had I had a great time with it. It was yeah. just it was. I felt a little like a poser though. Yeah. So I like, but I, I do think you're you're right though. Um, the Rav the the general Rav Four doesn't really feel brawny. To, like that's not what I think of. Uh, but no. I guess there may be space for um, for the Venza. It it makes me think that it's going to wind up like the the. Do you remember the Accord Cross Tour? Cross Tour, yes. yes. So that was sort of aimed at the somewhat older, more affluent buyer, or that's who wound up buying it. Uh, they they thought it was going to be whatever. It, like it kind of missed the mark, but I feel like there there is there is a buyer for the Venza who who wants some more style doesn't need as, as much utility as the, the RAV4 offers, but also doesn't need something as large as the Highlanders. So there's probably some buyers there. Just, I don't there's know how an, many. Yeah, there's an elegance to it. I, it I'm just glancing good. at it. It doesn't, they, they reference Apple CarPlay. They don't reference Android Auto. Are you kidding me? This thing hasn't even come out yet. And okay. Um, I think that, (laughs) I think the styling, you know, again, we're looking at pictures, but I think the styling is really sharp. Actually. I like the back a lot. Yeah, I do too. It it looks very elegant. I mean, I can see, you know, this is, this is definitely going to be a niche market. It's, it's a little on the feminine side. uh, So I could see, you know, professional women going right. for a car. Also, like not this. not terrible though, right? Like, right, um, not terrible. Well, because because like from like I'm thinking for myself, like the Rav Four. I mean, the thing was a riot, but it was small. Like I felt I wanted hmm. to be in a little bit larger vehicle for everyday use. I and then and also it was it didn't feel premium enough. But then the Highlander to me is too big and kind of too familyist right. and, and such. So I think that they, I hope they do the marketing correctly on the Venza. I hope they don't have just a, a you know, a car full of chicks on their way to a bar seeking a man. I mean, I think that there's, you know, there's an opportunity here because I do think that it's elegant looking. I think there is, there is a possibility for this thing. It's just, they have to market it correctly and clearly, you know, they have to have a, a clear marketing scheme for it and not just sort of throw spaghetti at the wall. They should contact. And, and for what it's worth in the press release, it does say that it has Android auto and Alexa support. Oh, isn't that fun? I wonder why. Oh, that's the right. They talked about the Alexa um, in the, uh, the little preview thing to it. Well, it's because it says technology right before your eyes behind the wheel, blah, blah, blah. 
in touchscreen display with Apple CarPlay compatibility, where, seamlessly where, where work you, together. Are you looking at the? I'm looking the, at the consumer the cons- website. Oh, okay. Under it's upcoming the, uh, yeah, vehicles. Yeah, on, on the media site, the press release, the press kit okay. uh, talks about all that stuff. All right. Um, well, they should uh, update their consumer site. So, do you think <laughs> this is basically? Do you think the Venza is basically like the the crossover version of the Avalon? Where? <gasps> yeah, I think that's actually a good a good way to describe it. So yeah, a little a little more premium looking, um, you know, a little more upmarket, you know, relative to the Camry, and you know, this would be the same thing, you know, relative to the uh, to the Rav. Yeah. So I don't know. It was just a cool way to uh, to spend about fifteen minutes in the middle of a day. Uh, made me feel like uh, the old days when when we had car shows. You remember car shows? <laughs> remember going to events? So I vaguely ago. remember something about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We may uh, even have some again someday. Maybe. We got one more Toyota before we before we leave Toyota. All right, let's let's talk about the last Toyota. Go for it, Dan. <laughs> uh, so it is uh, twenty years of Priuses. So the Prius, uh, which seems to be kind of dwindling in popularity a bit, uh, but they're coming out with a twentieth anniversary uh, Toyota Prius to celebrate the fact that the the car that sort of started it all. Uh, has been around for a while, and uh, the, the hilarious thing to me is that it's actually a 2021 model. <laughs> well, not, not only that, but the Prius actually debuted in 1997 in Japan. It, it's 20 yes. years in North America. Yeah. So, I mean, those things aside, um, it, it uh, it's not really all that different from the regular Prius. It's got, like, some different trim and uh stuff like that got black wheels yeah yeah uh the i think the the bigger point that i'm taking is toyota is really still um committed to electrification but not full evs and so to to celebrate the hybrid like i feel like at at some point in the late 90s toyota said we're going to do this hybrid thing and then we're going to pivot to fuel cells and that pivot to fuel cells just hasn't happened and they haven't gone back for another bite at um at like a full ev in a in a sort of a wholehearted way but the the prius itself i I think it's it's a worthy thing to to celebrate and to bring up because it it just it really did shift the paradigm a lot and we're past the point where it it, you remember how hated the prius was for like Mm -hmm. i don't know five maybe ten years like nobody liked them they were ugly they're maybe 20 (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I have a lot of respect for the Prius now. Like it, it's definitely not an exciting car. No, um, but but it is a it is a good car in, in, in from a technical standpoint. It's it's outstanding. Yeah. Well, and it really from a marketing standpoint, one of the things that it did was it, it was really one of the first hybrids that was its own model as opposed yeah. to you know, like the fine print, like the Ford Escape hybrid that was in a certain color, you know, or the GM, um, the GMC or the Chevy Silverado, not the Silverado, the Suburbans that had like the big uh, hybrids across the side of it. This was like when you pulled up in in a, in a Prius, like Leonard, Leonardo DiCaprio, you were, you were in a hybrid and everybody knew that they didn't have to look at the badging. It it was, it was the, the quintessential, uh, Virtue signaling. That's true. You yes. know what? You so, and this is this is one of the things that I I think you wouldn't have Tesla without 
the Prius. Probably um, not. Because the Prius sort of showed that, hey, this really, this odd looking little car, this different technology, nobody really knows about the technology, but everybody knows that this is like, it's, it's a green car, right? It's saving the planet. Right. So let me, let me buy the car. So and you're welcome. Yeah. Right. And, and, <laughs> and, and that's, what, that's what the Model 3 is today. The Model 3 is the, the modern, the new Prius. You know, and it's funny, if you, you know, if you go to LA these days, or at least, you know, before the pandemic, you know, there's Teslas everywhere, but there, and there's Priuses everywhere. But all the Priuses are now taxi cabs. <laughs> you know, taxi cabs in LA, the most common taxi cab in LA is the Prius, you know, and, you know, and then people who were driving Priuses 10 years ago, 15 years ago, are driving Model 3s now. Well, you know, they're, they're upwardly mobile after all. <laughs> Um, but I, I think it, it's, uh, it, <laughs> the cat has some thoughts. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, there's, 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 just... um, yeah. I, I think it, it really has had a pretty big effect on the whole market though. The footprint of the Prius is, is a lot larger than maybe you'd consider, uh, just sort of how it uh, developed electrification, uh, battery technology has improved because it's out there, motor technology and, and just, uh, consumer acceptance. So um, it's kind of amazing to me that the Prius has been around for 20 years and I expect it to not be around for another 20. Like, I think that the idea was always to sunset the Prius um, after people got used to it. I think that may, I think that was probably the idea in the, in the early days. And then there was a period, you know, around 2010, 2011, 2012, where they actually tried, you know, the Prius had become so popular that they actually tried to expand it into a sub-brand of its own. And they had a family of Priuses. You had the Prius, you had the bigger Prius V, and then the smaller Prius C. And the C and the V never really caught on in the same way as the, the classic Prius. Right. Uh, you know, and then you know, when the, the latest generation Prius came out, you know, they did what they did with the design and, you know, it's been downhill ever since. Um, but, the you know, audience the, was very different though, too. When they when they tried to expand the brand, yeah, no, that's that's true. You know, it, it you know the the Prius, you know, I think in part because of the way it looked, you know, was it was one of those classic, you know, vehicle, you know, designs that attracted early adopters, you know, yep. and those that were virtue signaling, as I said, you know, and then it never it never really broke into the mainstream. You know, it did it started to, but then it it kind of stalled, especially when gas prices went down. But right. they took the, th the technology that they learned from the Prius and Toyota's put that into almost everything they build now. You know, pretty, pretty much the only thing, the only Toyotas that don't have hybrid options now are the Tacoma and Tundra and, and the, the, the 4Runner. <laughs> yeah, I'm and, 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 I'm, and I'm pretty sure that when the, you know, the, the next generation Tundra is due in sometime in the next year, and I would be shocked if they don't have a hybrid version of the new Tundra. Yeah. I mean, that would give them some sort of market leadership there too. But I, I think the, the key about adopting that Prius technology across the lineup is uh, the, they, they saw what happened when you try to expand the Prius lineup, um, you know, by going smaller and larger. And at that point, you're building another brand within a brand, which is expensive and not, not really smart. Um, well, especially when they also had Scion that they were trying to promote at the same time. Right. So yeah. I think they, they, they sort of got burned twice there. 
yeah. where it just it didn't work. So now the idea is, well, everybody knows the Prius. Let's take that you know Prius propulsion technology and we'll put it over in the Camry and the Corolla. And we can say when we go to sell these things, hey, you know, you want to you want a hybrid or you want a hybrid, but you need a Highlander. Well, this has you know technology that was you know originally in the Prius. But you know, we understand you need more space. So here, check it out in the, in the Highlander. Same, same great taste, you know, new larger size kind yeah. of. And, uh, and Toyota, Toyota sells more RAV4 hybrids now than they do Priuses. Last year, they sold 400,000 uh, RAV4s in the, in the U.S. 25% of those had hybrids in them. And they sold 67,000 67, Priuses. I loved the, uh, the RAV4 oh. hybrid. I really liked it quite a bit. So, I mean, the tech is great. It's been really, really well refined and uh, there's no real penalty for buying it other than, than cost, but it, the cost has come down too. So it's, it's not like it's unobtainable. Dan, you want to talk about Uconnect 5? Uh, yeah. So for those of us here in the motoring press in New England, uh, FCA gave us a treat and they walked us through uh, Uconnect 5. Um, they gave us a little presentation. So a lot of the stuff that we complain about, um, like lack of redundant buttons and touchscreens and stuff, uh, I had the opportunity to sort of ask them and, and talk about, uh, and they were very clear to say that they really do hear a lot that people want to have buttons for stuff and that they're, they're going to continue to do this. So we, uh, they had, uh, Vince Galante, uh, Nick Kappa and, um, uh, Jin Palmer, um, give us a, a little presentation about what, what features uh, the Uconnect 5 has. And, and one of the things that really stood out is that it's, uh, they've simplified the graphics uh, to make it a lot clearer, a lot easier to use. And they've, they've sort of flattened the learning curve. So I, I'm at the point where now I need to try it. You know, they did a lot of UX testing um, and they took those lessons and they adjusted the way it works and you can customize this thing. So from an owner experience, I got the impression watching the presentation that if you own one of these cars, you're going to set the Uconnect up and you know, they've got uh, like favorite buttons and stuff. So you can do certain presets for the apps you want. You can move the apps around on the screen. And this is all stuff that is kind of in the current version of Uconnect as well, but they've, they've refined it quite a bit. Um, and it can support multiple displays. So you're going to see it uh, uh, basically the Uconnect system is going to drive the instrument panel and the main screen and, and whatever else they dream up. Um, they, they do a lot of testing for, you know, cold weather, for old age, for uh, just making the systems easier. Did you say old age? Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that that's the thing that you, you really have to consider, like how are people going to use this? And, and, and their, their real goal, and it was great to hear FCA say this, was like, we want people to be able to sit in the car and use the system and not have a class, not have it explained to them, oh, just be yes. able to figure it out. And that was great to hear because that's one of my sort of constant complaints, right? Is that these things are really, they're, they're too complicated and they're, they're too pretty. Like you guys are amusing yourselves. You're not, you're not making it easy to use. Um, it's, there's nothing more frustrating than for, it's not intuitive. Right. Yeah. They're going for form yeah. rather than function. Right. So they get it. They really get it. And uh, like, so climate is, um, you know, it was something that went into the screen in one version. Uh, this is back in like 2014 when they, they went to the newer version of Uconnect from like, I think Uconnect 3 or whatever. I forget. Uh, but then they discovered like, nope, that needs to come back out. <laughs> 
<laughs> leave us. We heard you. And now they have it where um, at the top of the, the display, there's always like the ever present sort of, it's like the top of your browser window where you'll see the, the temperature and like your seat heater settings and you press on that, you can get like, it's a shortcut no matter where you nice. are, you can get right to it. Very smart. It through like, yeah. a, you know, a bunch of menu trees. So that stuff has gotten a lot more refined and it's running on Android um, with faster hardware. So that's a big shift. I, I don't think before it ran on Android. So the, no, that it, was, moved, it was on QNX before. Right. Okay. So that was what BlackBerry was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think Android is actually a good move for them. But I wanted to to sort of ping you know you about that, Sam. Like what the what the benefit is of going from something like like QNX, which was pretty pretty good at least a few years ago, uh, and that was a good platform to be on to to move over to to Android. What does that give them? So. You know, this is uh, this is actually Android Automotive, which is uh, they've taken Google has taken the Android OS, you know, that was originally developed for mobile devices, and they've made a version that's optimized for automotive use, you know, to run in the automotive environment. And what's interesting is, you know, that as part of Android Automotive, you know, when it, when a manufacturer um, decides to use that, they have the option to use what's called Google Automotive Services. So when you get an Android phone, you know, there's a package of apps on most Android phones that, you know, are bundled in there. It's Google Mobile Services. So that's your Gmail, your Google Maps, uh, Search, and, you know, a whole bunch, you know, a bunch of other things, the calendar. There's all those Google apps that are bundled on every, most every Android phone. For Android Automotive, they were, you know, they're offering what they call GAS, Google Automotive Services. So again, Google Maps, um, Waze, um, uh, what else? Uh, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of other ones, uh, including Google Assistant. Uh, so you get the Assistant built in there. What's interesting is that FCA has chosen not to use Google Automotive Services, not to include Google Automotive Services. Uh, Volvo is also bringing out their next generation um, infotainment system is also built on Android Automotive, but they are using Google Automotive services. So you'll have Google Assistant built in. Uh, FCA is using Android Automotive, but they're, they've chosen to cherry pick a bunch of other services. So you have Alexa Automotive built in on right. top of that. You have TomTom for the maps instead of Google Maps. Uh, and I forget the other ones. There's a few, a few other services that they're building in there uh, that aren't Google services. Uh, you can over still, the air updates was a big thing that they talked about. Yeah. Um, over the air updates are, are available on there. And, you know, the other thing is in general on Android automotive systems, you'll actually be able to download Android apps directly onto the head unit, you know, so things right. like, um, you know, your music apps, your Spotify and things like that. You can go to the, the Google play store front, right from the head unit, download those apps, you know, so you don't necessarily have to use your phone to, to do that. I don't, did they talk at all about, you know, whether Uconnect five will have access to the play store, the Google play store? They didn't talk I, about that, uh, or at least I don't I don't recall it. Um, but they did talk about how you could add widgets and, and stuff like that. So yeah. um, I, I think that in the future, there's certainly going to be. They they did talk about how you can add uh, features that the car didn't come with. Right. 
um, you can go and, and sort of, you can add it later. If it's a tech feature, you can, you can t download, you know, whatever, like if the car didn't come with nav, but it has whatever in it, you can go get it. That's a, that's my example. I'm sure if you have, you connect yeah. live, you probably have nav, but you know, one little piece if, or if they come out with something new that you want to add, you can, you can again, go get it. And, and that's a, that's a real area where automakers, I think all automakers are probably looking at a way to sort of extend the, extend the life of their products and, and sort of extend the opportunity for features to be added so that, um, and, and get people to pay for it, uh, which is kind of like a nice thing for them. Right. Um, so yeah, it, it just overall, I was really, and it, it's not, it's been a, a Android. I mean, uh, you connect five has been sort of announced since like early January, uh, but I was impressed with how, the, the amount of thought they put into the system and how much, They've they've sort of stripped it down from previous versions of Android because of uh, UConnect because I, I really I felt like UConnect was great at first it was really friendly because it was limited and then they added a lot of features to it and it got kind of bloated and crappy to use and now they're they're figuring out how to keep the features and make it easy again. So yeah. when is it coming out? When will it be unveiled? Like in uh, this this fall on twenty twenty one models, starting with okay. the the twenty one Pacifica and some other stuff coming later this year. And is it across all brands like Alpha and? Uh, yeah, it, it'll it'll okay. be spreading across all the FCA brands, okay. and it it does it does also still have support for both Android Auto and CarPlay in there. So right, yeah. yeah. So if I think it's to, confusing sometimes when you hear Android Auto. Yeah, uh, yeah. Android, there's Android Auto, Auto, and Android, Android Automotive, Automotive, which right. is the the OS. Right. Well, and that was a, a specific question that I asked them um, because in some cars, if you're using Android Auto or Apple CarPlay, it forces you to use Apple Maps or Google Maps. Um, the way they've implemented it here, uh, Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, the projection systems don't take over the full screen. They learned that that's not the best thing to do either because people still want to get at the, the, you know, the functionality that's in the head unit that's not in the phone. So they have a large enough screen now where it only takes up a portion and you still have your other functions. Well, and that, that's actually true even now on Uconnect 4, on the current Uconnect 4 stuff. You still, if yeah, you plug true. in your phone, you still have uh, a a bar, you know, a dock along the bottom edge of the screen with icons, you know, to tap to get to the various embedded functions. So you can get to, you know, the built-in nav if you want, and if you don't want to use uh, Google, uh, the, the Google or Apple maps. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I got to say, I'm not a fan of Uconnect 4. I don't like it. <laughs> so uh, I think that the, this, this is a good improvement. So it was, it was cool to see that um, they've, they've updated it so thoughtfully and, uh, you know, it was also cool that they put on a little presentation for us. So thank you. <laughs> it was, it was, it was nice to, to like chat with uh, all our friends at FCA um, for, for a moment and, and uh, feel like we're not stuck at home. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I actually got um, a demo of it from Nick uh, at the New York or at the Chicago auto show. And I got a video that I posted on YouTube. I'll, I'll include that in the show notes so you can get an idea of what it looks like. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 cool, and I'm, I'm you know I think that people are going to like it. They're going to like um, some of the features. Yeah, you know, and it it does uh, the Android Auto and and CarPlay wirelessly, which is also nice. Like mm -hmm. that is really nice. Yeah, 
Um, we'll talk about it next week, but it is Audi is coming out with their MIB three. So I think that we're we are starting to see a lot of improvements and a lot of changes and upgrades uh, to the infotainment systems because it's still a, a relatively new thing in vehicles, you know. And each manufacturer is kind of trying to figure out what system is their best. So I have to write about that for something, and so um, we can talk about it next week. Okay. All right. And we can also talk some more about uh, Sync 4 next week as well um, cool. from Ford, which is uh, getting OTA update capability. Nice. Um, and uh, so uh, that yeah. that's also a new system that's got support for, you know, the, you know, wireless Android Auto and CarPlay, but it's also got a completely new interface as well. So that's one of the things that um, just the, the OTA updates, uh, you'll hear folks say, well, you know, Tesla's had that for like a decade. And that that's true. But and I think it's taken automakers this long to realize, A, um, we can do it and do it reliably. They've been very careful about it. But uh, there's a lot of sort of thought that needs to go into to liability and who owns the data and how it's going to how it's going to actually roll out. Um, so I'm glad that they finally solved that. It's not that it has been impossible on sort of mainstream automakers' vehicles is that they've been careful. Uh, and I think that we're going to see it be robust uh, as it goes forward instead of, you know, having having issues with it failing and, and stuff like that. I think they've, they've gotten it to a point where um, we're going to see everybody get OT updates across their lineups, especially as they, they change architectures now, um, where it wasn't... That's, and that's the key, is, is having an electrical architecture that can support it, yeah. electronic architecture that can support it. And GM's new... Um, uh, global B electrical architecture that's rolling out this year uh, has support for full OTA update capability. Ford's new stuff, uh, you're going to see it from FCA and from and Volkswagen Group and everybody else is is starting to roll that out this year. Yeah, so uh, that's just sort of a, a little shorthand of demonstration of the uh, the inertia in the industry where you know they've got platforms that take a while to to redo, to make things possible um, that, you know, yes, when you design it in from the start <laughs> and it's your, your only product, it's there and you get a jump on competition. I think everybody's sort of starting to, to catch up and do it really well. So that's good. Um, uh, you, I would like to go, not have to go back to the dealer to upgrade my nav maps. That would be cool. <laughs> yeah. That would be nice, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So I think uh, I babbled enough about uh, Uconnect 5. So I think we're, we're done on topics. I think that's good. That's good for today. Yeah, I think that's that's good for the podcast. And, and we'll try and get this one out in less than three weeks. She's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> savage. Uh, so I do have just one thing to add, and I didn't clear this with you guys, um, but the uh, the analyst community and the and the automotive community, um, a good friend of mine named Jim Ehrlich died in a in a um, surfing accident last Monday. He used to work for Hyundai. He was uh, worked at Kelly Blue Book with me, and he was just such a great guy and a friends to a lot of journalists, a lot of people in the industry. And so I just wanted to say rest in peace, Jim. All right. All right. I got nothing. But that that sucks. Um, yeah. It does. Yeah. It's a huge, it's a huge loss. He was just such a creative, funny uh, instigator. <laughs> and, um, and so I just wanted for our listeners, Jim Ehrlich is his name and he was working at GFK at the time, but uh, worked for Hyundai, as I said, Hyundai Capital, uh, worked for just Kelly Blue Book and a group of others and, and a lot of people knew him. And so it's a, it's a really 
it's a sad loss. It really is. And uh, so just wanted to give him a shout out and um, just thinking of his mom and his and his daughter. So thank you. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> and uh, we'll talk to you all next time. All right. Stay safe, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Wheel Bearings. Find us at wheelbearings.media and on Twitter as at wheelbearingscast. Remember, there's only one vowel. That's the A in cast. We're also at Car Review Tweets on Twitter. Or you could just email us. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. Thanks again for listening to Wheel Bearings. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.